You are listening to the Enormo Cast. So, on each episode, I try to say something ridiculous to keep you listening to and considering the commercials on the Enormo Cast. For example, I might claim that Alex Honnold once painted an exact replica of the birth of Venus by Botticelli using only a 0.4 ultralight camelot and pigments he foraged from plants growing in El Cap Meadow. Or despite marketing's advice about being inclusive, I'll say something completely esoteric like Black Diamond's headlamps are brighter than six cluster winks on a cookie cutter. That's one for you marine biologists. But of course, these are flat-out fabrications, fake news if you will. But what's not a lie is that Black Diamond simply makes and sells great gear to keep you safe, warm, and dry, and feeling as slick as Bootsy Collins' middle finger on your next adventure. You need good gear, and the climbers at Black Diamond make good gear, and they have supported the Enormic Cast since nearly its inception. So please consider that next time you're about to throw down hard cash for that next prized piece of gear. Black Diamond is a proud supporter of the Enormic Cast. Welcome to our newest sponsor, Boulder Denim. Now, I like high-tech climbing duds as much as the next guy. Star Trek-like materials, the accents on all the right bulges and curves, and boy, who doesn't feel pretty neat in a pair of bright yellow trousers? But the truth is, is that once you leave the crag and are amongst the lowland peoples again, you can feel a bit out of place in your sleek mountain togs. That's where Boulder Denim comes in. These guys want you to be able to go from the Cragger Gym to the cafe to the slightly upscale but not, you know, annoyingly posh bar without a hitch. Their climbing jeans sport a modern look and design with stretch performance, water and stain resistance, and other refinements just for climbers. Both men's and women's jeans, slim fit for the truly hip, and athletic fit for the less grandiloquent among us. To check them out, go to boulderdenim.com and entry normal at checkout for a discount. And no, these are not affiliated in any way with Boulder, Colorado. In fact, just like the Snowblower and Wonderbra, they're Canadian, eh? Once again, that's boulderdenim.com and entry Normo at checkout. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. Sold that's it out. Very that's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should... The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is about 11.30 p.m. here in Colorado on July 24th. This is episode 133 of the Normacast, a conversation with climber Alex Honnold. All right, where's the applause track? Right there, bagged and tagged to free-range Honnold. 
not long after the El Cap free solo. So very excited about that. Very, very pleased that Alex made time for us. So we'll get to that in just a minute. A little bit of news is that Chris Parker, friend of the show and friend of mine from episode 121, where he talked about music and climbing and art and climbing and all sorts of things like that. Well, he's put his money where his mouth is and or his guitar is and put out an EP called Cliff Notes, four tunes inspired by climbing. Two of the songs were actually on that episode, and these are new versions with uh, full instrumentation. So yeah, go check that out. It can be found on iTunes, Cliff Notes under Christopher Parker, or you can go to ChristopherParkerMusic.com and check it out there, or you can head over to Spotify and have a listen. But why would you do that when it's only $4 on iTunes? Yeah, buy it. Support Chris. Support art in the community. He's a climber. He's an artist. And of course, we need to foster those sorts of things in our community if we want to see them turn into something great. And frankly, these four tunes are pretty great. So check them out, ChristopherParkerMusic.com. Okay, I also want to thank uh, everybody up at the Climbers Festival, the International Climbers Festival in Lander was up there last week. This is where I ran into Alex Honnold and got this interview done and also just had an awesome time. Worked a few events, did a little bit of climbing this time, did a lot of late night drinking and some late night climbing of, uh, of some buildings, in fact. So good times up in Lander. And I also want to give a direct shout out to Jill Hunter, who hooked us up at the Mill House. The Mill House is a new boutique hotel across the street from the Lander Bar. Awesome full suite style rooms with living rooms and the whole shebang. Go ahead and check it out on Facebook, The Millhouse Two Words, or you can find the bookings on Airbnb. So if you're headed up to Lander and you'd like a little bit of uh, a more finely appointed accommodations than the city park, check out The Millhouse. All right, let's get on to the interview with Alex Honnold. What we tried to do, or what I tried to do anyway, was uh, give you guys the full climbing nerd out interview with Alex Honnold. He's been doing a bunch of mainstream stuff. He was just on Jimmy Kimmel, among other things, talking to papers about his freehanding of the El Capitan. So instead of going into the basics of were you scared, you know, whatever gave you the idea to climb El Capitan without a rope, all that sort of stuff, we get down to the nitty gritty. Which moves were scary? Which moves did he have to worry about? Which pitches meant what to him? This is a very climbing nerd-oriented podcast. And certainly Alex Honnold is a big enough deal that some folks are going to find this that don't normally listen to the Normacast. Hey, welcome aboard. And some folks are going to listen to this that aren't necessarily climbers. Also, welcome aboard. But yeah, we're going to get deep in the weeds on this one. Almost going move for move. In fact, we do talk about very, very specific moves on this thing. So hope you guys enjoy it and honored that Alex took the time to sit down and was excited to do it. The guy's still glowing, glowing from his ascent, even though it was weeks ago, even months ago at this point. So congratulations to Alex Honnold for achieving a lifelong dream. And in fact, maybe doing the most incredible athletic achievement of all time, of human history. I don't know. Is it as badass as running down a woolly mammoth with just a rock in your hand? I don't know. Maybe so. Anyway, hope you enjoy this one. An interview with Alex Honnold. La Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the Enormacast. And though they could rest on their laurels, keep tossing mirrors at my thick skull, and watch me stroke them like one of Lenny's doomed rabbits. 
La Sportiva has in fact dropped several innovations on us for the summer. Behold the Kataki, a lace-up version of the laser-guided Otaki in case you need to squeeze more blood out of your toes to hit that jib. And the venerable Mythos has been updated to the Mythos Eco, a shoe made from 95% recycled materials and clean processing. And the Maverink, a fun, customizable shoe for kids, designed for a more comfortable, less restrictive fit on growing feet. Just a thing to convince them they love climbing before a video game steal their souls and they never want to step outside again. So head to Sportiva.com or your local climbing retailer to check out all of Sportiva's new goods. And remember, when you support Sportiva, you support the Enormacast. So you've been listening to Enormacast with soloing easy climbs? Yeah, well, I listened to Conrad's thing about like mortality and stuff. You know, your chat with Conrad that was mm-hmm. like pretty heavy. I listened to that while I was like soloing some five six in my tennies, and I was like, this is like kind of a weird time for it. <laughs> go back to you know, I don't know. Go back to a James Lucas one. Although you probably don't listen to those ones. Well, those are even worse than I'm listening, <laughs> listening while soloing. I'm like, and then I took a ninety footer, <laughs> broke every bone in my body. I'm like, oh, I should go home now. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot that's what the nature yeah. that's what the first James Lucas one was all about was the red point free solo. <laughs> yeah, oh. he's he's still the best red point free solo yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah, and and remember we're like and maybe this is one of the reasons you were you were actually psyched to do it is we're a total climbing podcast. So yeah, totally. We can get into it. And actually I kinda wanna get into Mostly it. Mostly I just I'd heard, you know, like Andrew Bishra has been on like four yeah. times, James right. has been on four times. I was like, Man, I've only been on once, I was like, I gotta make this happen. Dude. <laughs> Thanks. You're still number one, though. Oh, yeah? Because James, oh, uh, well, in a, in a way. You mean in, in downloads or yeah. what? Um, James got in touch with me, and he's like, what, who's, number, who's the highest downloads? <laughs> and so I hadn't looked in, in actually years. And so I looked just straight hot, uh, for a single episode. Mm-hmm. Most downloads. You were still ahead of Tommy by Ooh, tiny hair. Yeah, literally. And this was like last week. It was literally like by a hundred and some episodes out mm-hmm. of out of like forty some thousand. Well, and but I'll have to you know I do have to kind of episodes too, right? No, but this was for a single episode, and actually Tommy's only been on once. Oh yeah, and I'll have to you know tell you Tommy's is much newer, so yeah, you've totally. been out there great. Yeah, yeah so. You know, you're right there with with, yeah. with TC with the man, oh, which is you know, man. fitting. No, but, I, uh, I bet if I do a new one, it'll it'll do, do well. You know, because <laughs> yeah, the having the having been out there for a long time is yeah. kind of good and bad. You know, yeah, because totally. it means like you get the trickle, but you don't get that like big bump at the beginning. Yeah, I think but. you'll. I think we're pretty safe to say that. Um, that yeah, you'll you'll be on you're top. Gonna, you're going to distribute uh, this to the Kimmel mailing list. Yeah, <laughs> is there such a thing? I'm sure there must be. I'm sure like Jimmy Kimmel Live has all kinds of like crazy, you know. Yeah, so tell tell me about that. Well, you you just got you flew out there for a day and and filmed the. No, I, I flew out to California for three days. I actually, okay. flew out to California for a North Face event, and uh, and then I did like a outrageous signing at uh, the Planet Granite in Presidio. That was like, it was like maybe the most next level event I've done so far. It was maybe because it's the first like event I've done since Cell Cap. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they, I, I, w- I didn't even give a talk or anything. I was just signing stuff. I just showed up and like signed posters and, and books. And um, they, they'd contact an independent bookseller out there to like sell books for the event. He said that I sold more books of that like random thing than I did for my actual book tour. Really? And, like, went, yeah, because he was the same guy that had done it for my book tour. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I was like, geez, it felt like really next level. I was signing stuff for, like, two and a half hours, like, uh-huh. as fast as I could. Right on. It, like, 
like my hand like hurt afterward i have like this kind of faint like honestly i have this like hand injury like this uh i like yeah and then his career was over yeah no totally i like a year like a bit over a year ago i like pulled a ligament in my hand Mm. and like separating my fingers kind of hurts in a weird way it's like basically fine and everything about it but after like signing as fast as i can for like it was basically four hours that day because i did a couple hours at the north face office too and by the end, I was like, oh, my God, I have, like, hand pain. It's like, this is kind of crazy. So how does something like the Kimmel thing happen? Do you, I mean, are you running an agent these days? Or is yeah, I've, face dealing? yeah, I've had an agent for right. several years now, uh-huh. like many years. Right. But, um, but, yeah, so the late night TV stuff, I mean, I don't know. So the vice president of marketing at North Face, basically, mm-hmm. like, the big boss, mm-hmm. is, like, friends with one of the producers at Jimmy Kimmel Live. Um, so there's like a bit of a connection there. And so they'd been like playing phone tag with my agent for a long time. Jimmy Kimmel had, oh. and, um, so like, cause post El Cap, you know, they like reached out. It's like, Oh, that's cool. But then I went to Alaska for a couple of weeks and then just whatever, like phone tag. And, and obviously I'm like way bottom of the barrel compared to like, you know, Ben Affleck going on or something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't know. They just like randomly had a hole to fill probably in. You know, like probably some real celebrity backed out, and they're like, "Oh, we need something," and then they're like, "Oh, there's this weird dude." But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like the joke. What it was, you know, crazy person, solo climber or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that. So, I mean, how you obviously have to have a sense of humor about all that stuff, and you and you get some of that from from the climbing side as well. Yeah, I mean, everybody calls right. me a crazy person. Why, right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, is it yeah. just rolling off your back? Oh yeah, I do not care at all. Right. Yeah, and but I mean, it's the same way I think of like a race car driver is like, oh, what a crazy dude. Sure. And it's like maybe maybe not race car, but you know, any any sport or like weird activity that you know nothing about, you just assume like, oh, well, that's pretty fringe, you know, mm-hmm. like that's crazy. But it's just because you don't know anything about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we the climbers know something about it, and a lot of them are still like, whoa. I yeah, mean, well, in that way, there's a. I think there's a relatability that we that cl- all climbers have to the possibility of falling into fear and these sorts of things so yeah. but what was your treatment like on that i mean you, who else was on the show actually so the interesting thing my my treatment on the show was kind of awesome um mostly because all the staff like everybody involved with the show was all super stoked they were all like big fans or like didn't know like hadn't known much about me but mm-hmm. were like blown away but i think they're also jaded from working with with actors and musicians or whatever that like to have somebody different on the show they're like this is so awesome right but so um, i felt like there was a ton of enthusiasm from the staff which which is cool actually you know because they're like oh it's really an honor to have you on so great like so glad you could be here and i'm like you know and i'm like looking at 50 cent being like holy shit that's 50 cent right you know like um but you know they like hang out with 50 cent all the time so like whatever that guy just like raps like who cares and i'm just like that's so cool i don't know it's all just sort of like sort of different worlds Mm -hmm. yeah and i thought i watched it the other morning because it was on youtube i mean Mm -hmm. the day after i think yeah you filmed it and uh and i thought he i mean i thought jimmy had uh showed a lot of respect and and yeah you know as far as mainstream interviews go he definitely like tread a nice middle ground of like yeah interested respectful like and still still comical you know yeah it's like no his 50 cent shot was the that you guys should supposed but neither one of you should be alive um (laughs) was probably his his golden moment there so uh, <laughs> Here he introed it uh, before he'd introduced the segment, like during one of the earlier things, he teased it with like, oh, he climbed this 3,000 foot wall that's almost as high as Snoop Dogg is in the back room right now. <laughs> that's a good one, too. <laughs> I was like, it's pretty freaking funny. Yeah. I was like, I've never heard El Cap compared to Snoop Dogg. Yeah. That's, uh, so <clears throat> let's, uh, 
I'm, I'm super stoked you're here, and I really appreciate taking time to do this. Um, so let's get into this El Cap thing because obviously, mm-hmm. um, I've been I've been joking that with you, I, I, it kind of landed flat with you. But when when you texted me to hey, I, it'd be cool to do the show again, I was like, my text back to you said, hey, I don't know, have you done anything cool lately? And uh, just obviously a play on the fact that of course everybody freaking knows about what you did. So El Cap. Free solo, the free rider. You, you even on Kimmel, and I know this from all the other media. You said you've been preparing this. I mean, really specifically for a year, mm-hmm. and I think probably you know in terms of your dreams of it, doing it, and yeah, I mean, in the beginning of the years. idea of it's been for years and years, yeah. maybe since you walked into the valley. Who knows? But uh, definitely yeah, not when I first walked into the yeah. valley. Because <laughs> then you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. But so tell me about. Um, Tell me a little bit about that preparation and maybe uh, when the idea went to like, wow, maybe I should and can do this thing versus the kid who walked into the valley mm-hmm. and was just like, that thing's huge. I, I don't mean, know the, if I'll ever climb it. the dream of it, you know, it was like the vague, the mental side of it is like over years and years of like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe. But um, actually, for me, the first time I sort of like thought I might be able to actually solo El Cap was um, climbing the the heart route with Brad Gobright in like the summer of two years ago, three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was, what's it now, 17? Maybe it was 15. I think, um, could have been 14 actually. He and he and Mason had just freed the heart route. Brad and I were trying to do an easier version, like we call it the lighthearted, but um, doing the free blast into the top of the heart. And we did that in a day. And I was just up there to support him, basically, like adventure mode. I'd actually taken like a month off of climbing, and I wasn't really in climbing shape. We were climbing the free blast, like in morning shade, simling, and it was like the first time I was ever like, oh, I could kind of imagine soloing this. Uh-huh. And a big part of it was because the conditions were so stable, like because it was like warm when we left the ground, but it was like shady, and we're like in shorts and t-shirts, just like climbing in pleasant temps on like nice slabs. Because oftentimes when you start super early on that stuff, you're like fingers or toes are numb, or it's just kind of like. I don't know, it's not quite perfect. And um, I don't know, I was up there with him, and I was like, oh, this feels pretty easy, and it's like pleasant conditions, and I was like, I could kind of imagine soloing this. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time that I was actually like, could it be possible? Okay. And then obviously it still took several years after that but uh, right. to actually do it. But. Yeah, the free blast is, it's funny. But, Again, we, we've got like the perspective of, like, again, this mainstream media of this giant thing. But as climbers and as someone who's climbed the free bus several times in the free rider like i was able to really start thinking about even individual moves and, yeah, and it's always been in my head like yeah i know there's like hard 512 climbing up there above that but then i go to those freaking yeah the, 511 free, the free slaps. blast is like the gatekeeper for yeah. sure like the idea of getting past the free blast was always like the big initial hurdle where you're like i don't know the free blast is messed up because that's like the scariest type of stuff to solo yeah it's like so low angle and so smooth and just like right and know. people haven't climbed it just to like the the pitch i always think about is the the bowl ladder the sideways one yeah, i know there's other right. hard climbing too but like just it's a nothing yeah there's no, no hold there's no handholds yeah yeah and you, i remember doing like just the little like pad foot switches yeah, across yeah. the little dishes yeah, and a as lot a, of with a rope on, you can clip as many bolts there as you want. Like, but even, even then, it's still all. kind of scary because oh, yeah. you still feel like you're gonna fall at any second. Yeah, or you can. You know? Yeah. So but. that uh, I was when when you know people have been speculating, you know, probably to your chagrin about oh, is Alex gonna free El Cap? When is it gonna happen? 
And anytime someone said that, I, I would like instantly project myself to those moves. And I was just like, whoo. Yeah. So, so anyway, it's interesting to hear that that was in your yeah, head the, the free blast was kind of like the free blast and the crux were like the two things. Sure. Like the boulder problem is hard enough that it has to be taken seriously. And then the free blast is just insecure enough that it's like mm-hmm. kind of messed up. Yeah. But. So keep going. So, so you're up there and, you, and you're like, wow, this, this feels good. This could, I could mentally <clears throat> get over these, the idea of free on these pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I mean, you know, there's a whole like feature film coming out about El Cap mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the whole soloing El Cap is like tied up in the film for sure. Um, not because of any kind of pressure or whatever, but because basically my entire process was all documented as this film project. Okay. Like from start to finish, it was all like in this film. So, I mean, it's kind of been this like interesting journey where, um, you know, there have been like Jimmy and a crew like involved the entire time. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, basically, like, I had the thought that it was possible, and I was kind of like, okay, like, maybe this is a thing. And then, just sort of by chance, um, Jimmy and his wife, Chai, approached me about doing a film project, and at the same time, the center guys approached me about doing a feature film project, and it kind of, unfortunately, had to be, like, choose one and sort of, like, make a feature film. Right. And so, for, you know, various reasons, whatever, I wound up working with Jimmy and Chai, and, and then it was like, okay, we're doing this feature film project, which nobody, nobody proposing the film has said anything about El Cap or anything. They're just like, we want to do a feature on you going soloing or, or even just you climbing in your lifestyle and whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but for me, you know, before I even talked to either of them, I was like, if I'm going to do a film, it's going to be El Cap because that's like the only thing that's like worthy of a film. And so then like from the very beginning, you know, I was just like up there working on El Cap stuff with like film crew and, you know, various, the, you say a film crew, but in practice, I meant like me and Mikey rapping El Cap together, right. him with a camera, but the two of us like Mikey, doing stuff. Mikey Schaefer. Right. Or like, you know, me and Shane Lumpy like rapping El Cap together and like toiling on the wall and doing stuff. So, I mean, even though it's like, oh, I'm up there with a movie crew, I was like, it's actually, I'm up there with my friends doing what I would normally be doing, but like with help. So, in mm-hmm. some ways, it's kind of easier. I mean, in some ways, it's like a big chore to have a bunch of people hanging there with cameras like watching you. But, um, but a lot of the time, that makes it easier. Because like rapping El Cap by yourself is like, kind of a lot of work sometimes right you know <laughs> i mean like just the logistics of having somebody else to help like pull the rope as fast as you can while you thread it or something you know mm-hmm. it just like makes things easier when you have a partner does does the when i just mentioned a minute ago the speculation or the you know like i said you're you're sort of this you're sort of this figure in climbing that i don't know people feel like open season to just talk about your life and what you're doing i mean you're you're famous enough that's fair. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, and maybe you don't, maybe like, you don't even realize to the extent of it, but yeah, you know, not, you're not. like a, uh, <clears throat> but you're like a, a meme or a catchphrase in so many ways. I mean, maybe. for for better or worse, but so you're up there doing this stuff. There's there's guys filming you. I'm sure there was, you know, some agreement to be a bit tight lipped about what all was. Yeah, happening. I mean, we all signed on disclosure agreements, and but. Stuff. At the same time, everybody's in the valley, and it's a, and, and it's it's this stage. Yeah. Where, so w- one of my big fears right, for ever right. working on El Cap was mm-hmm. the fact that you know as soon as I started doing anything, people would just know. Right. But in some ways, the film actually kind of helped cover that a little bit because it's like, oh, we're just up here like shooting some like promo piece, or we're like shooting something for right. the parks, or right. like <clears throat> you know, it's always kind of vague, and it's like not that unusual pe- to be doing like work days on El Cap or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like. In some ways, it's, like, less suspicious for me to be up there filming some random thing than it is for me to be up there by myself just, like, flogging out mini-traction labs. Right. You know? Um, But then just randomly, I don't know. Like, it never really seemed to blow up, like, 
before. And actually, I, I, I really appreciated the whole community for that because especially when I finally did it this spring, um, I'm pretty sure that anybody in the Valley had like a decent sense of what was going on, but by there then, was like, yeah, but the there was nothing beforehand. posted. There was no like big threads on super topo or anything. There was no, you know, at least as far as I know, there was, there was no public knowledge of it. You know, as a guy, I don't pay attention, especially now that I have a kid as much as I used to, but I pay attention yeah. to things like that. And, well, and was, you're like deeply like in the yeah. scene too, you know, yeah. like you would hear about that type of stuff. Right. But, but like, so in the fall, I, I put an attempt on soloing the free blast and um, had to start in the dark with a headlamp and whatever. And, um, and Mason and Nick Barry uh, were over working on their project over on, over on the West side. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just saw like a solo headlamp going up the free blast labs and they were like, holy shit. And like one of them posted something on, on Instagram or s- something like that. And it was up for like 45 minutes. And then Mikey Schaefer fully was like, put the kibosh and like basically just called him. was like, take that down. And they like took it down. It was totally cool. Right. And, and I, I wound up bailing that day anyway. So it was kind of good that it was like a thing. But so there were a couple things like that where like, you know, I mean, the crew kept it pretty tight. The community all sort of like respected the process. Everybody kept it, kept it mellow and which is good because I don't know if I could have done it had there been like tons of people coming up all the time, like sure. asking, you know? Sure. Yeah. But, and that's, that is cool. And, and, uh, <clears throat> that was kind of the first thing I thought of too. Again, just Okay, so yeah, the greater world didn't know, but I'm like, well, what was the buzz like in the valley? No, but so, okay, uh, the, the day I sold it, I started up the first pitch. There was a camera guy at the bottom who's like a good friend of mine, but he'd like hiked up separately and he was just sitting there. So I like hiked up by myself. I like put my shoes on. We didn't really chat much. I started climbing and then he was just going to like, well, he was going to hike up to the top and then shoot the summit too. And um, when I was like halfway up the first pitch, these three guys hiked up. I could hear all the jangling in the forest and I was like, oh, you know, like I don't really want people like at the base, like watching me as I start. It's just because I was still like sort of nervous and there's like a lot of wall above you and it's just like a thing you know like I, just <laughs> yeah, don't, I yeah, didn't want to watch people watching you know mm-hmm. but um apparently and it turns out I knew the dudes but I, I didn't know at the time the camera guys said that they like walked up and like saw what was going on and they're just like oh god it's happening and then they just like hid in the forest and like waited <laughs> I was like <laughs> okay so there but, was some sense of yeah but event, so yeah. but those guys but again these guys backed off but as yeah. it turns out I think that was Drew Smith and and uh he, he's like shooting a bunch of photos okay. in the valley and they were going up to free core zone or something so they're pretty like in the know like in the community sure. but still you're like it just shows that even like peripherally just like you know folks in the valley community had a pretty good sense you know they're so, like oh no it's begun so you said you said you did a a, a try or you you did a a short attempt tell me about that tell me about what because this is you know and you've said this before you you know you do back off sometimes you do decide not to do it sometimes Mm -hmm. and and this was one of those cases yeah so but again i think a lot of people will wonder well what what is the process or what is the thing that I mean, so, so all this sets will be the like, alarm off and tells you, no, 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 this is not the moment. Yeah, th- this will all be like in the movie, I'm sure. But um, in a nutshell, like in the fall, my very first climb in the valley, I was climbing the free blast with my girlfriend and just like fell off the free blast labs, which is totally embarrassing. But took like a 20 footer and like severely sprained my ankle and was basically Jesus, crippled. Man. Yeah, it was that kind of messed up. That must have been in your but head. But it was like, it wasn't like that in my head though, because I was like, total cruiser mode I was skipping bolts I had a pack on and it was like lightly raining maybe I was like in a jacket and it was like slightly it was like overcast and really windy and cold and I couldn't feel my fingers and right. you know I was just like oh I'm paddling a lot and we were like in full conversation and I was like having a nice time chatting with the lady friend and then just suddenly like whipped you know and I was kind of like really the lesson there was that I should be like paying more attention you know mm-hmm. it's just like man I was like getting too casual on this type of thing and so I mean I wasn't 
I mean, it didn't help my confidence, I guess. Yeah, but, but but at the same time, it, it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like oh, that's a deal breaker. You know, it's just right. like well, it just goes to show when you're not paying attention, you make stupid mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. but um, but thing about soloing is you're always paying attention. Yeah, you better <laughs> but, be. Yeah, but so anyway, my first my first pitch in the valley, basically, I like sprained my ankle super badly, and so then for the next like month, I was pretty much crippled, didn't really do much. I mean, I was it was like pretty serious uh, ankle injury, and so then. So that was like the whole month of October, I was like crippled. And then November, I started like working on the root again and was like sort of able to like put some effort into El Cap. I wrapped in and sort of like sussed things out and and um, and felt like vaguely ready, you know, had like kind of done a bunch of it. But the thing is, I hadn't been climbing that much because my ankles was hurt. I hadn't even been able to wear my real pair of shoes or anything. And so then um, basically the season was going to shut down. Um, because like a storm was coming in and like everything was all perfectly chalked and like good to go and it was like about to storm and then the weather just looked like it would be like done for the season and so I was kind of like well if I'm going to do it I have like this one shot and there's like this whole movie crew there and it's like this whole thing and I was kind of like alright well at least like take my shot you know and there there are a lot of climbs that I've done like that in the past where it's like you just take advantage of your moment you know you're mm-hmm. kind of like well this is the day so if it's going to happen it's happening today but like from the get go my shoe felt way too tight because my foot was still swollen I couldn't really feel my toes that well and then the free blast labs I made it up exactly to what you were talking about the rightward traverse on that first free blast lab and um, basically I like couldn't really feel my right foot right and I was like I don't want to trust my whole life to like this foot that I just can't you know this is not right, right. And so then I started pulling on the bolts and so that kind of makes the, like so I was still soloing but I was just like pinching the bolt hangers and stepping on the bolts but that makes it probably like 510 slab climbing instead of 511 <laughs> like seriously it's like not really that hard but so I finished still. the whole well, so I finished the free blast <laughs> right. at like 510 A0 and it was kind of a bummer because had I had like a harness and a like a small rack, I probably would have just carried on up the South A and like set the speed record on the South A. Because right. I was raging and I felt great, you know, but I just wasn't like sending. But um, so I borrowed a sling and a beaner off of a camera guy and wound up just like wrapping the heart lines, which I got to say wrapping the heart lines with only a double link sling and one carabiner is like kind of no joke. Right. <laughs> like, you know, using a mantra to like wrap a thousand feet with right. like double link sling, like diaper harness is like pretty bad. But um, anyway, so then I was back to the ground at like 730 in the morning and I just like cheated my way up the free blast. And I was like all like warmed up and amped, like ready to do something, you know, but but just not my project, you know, like right. not all gap. And um, I wound up going over and doing Astroman in the roster in that afternoon, but which like felt like a consolation thing for me. The thing is, it was such a junk show with all the media, and it was like kind of weird with like people filming. And I was just like, ah, you lose the spontaneity of like I'm just gonna go do what I want. Mm-hmm. And so like after bailing on the free blast, I just like took off by myself and biked over to Astroman. I hadn't climbed it in years, so I basically like re onset solo Astroman. Which um, was like kind of engaging, you know. It'd been it'd been a oh, long really? time. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you felt engaged yeah, yeah, you know. on the Astroman. Like, that's yeah. nice to know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that was cool. But so I did the Astroman, and then actually, like for the film stuff, we had to go shoot some stuff on the rostrum um, because I'd sold the Excellent Adventure earlier in the season. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but no, I didn't actually. But so like we'd filmed on the Excellent Adventure, but they needed like a bit more rostrum stuff. But so then in the evening, I like went over there and sold the whole rostrum again too. And I was like, oh, it's a pretty legit day doing, you know, the free blast, Astroman, and the Rostrum in a day. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. it's funny because that no kind of one stuff notices is just like, that, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that's Most people, so funny. it's like a lifetime, it would be like a lifetime yeah. career thing. Or what's well, like, would have got you on Jimmy Kimmel like 25 <laughs> yeah, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, doing Astroman and the Rostrum like 10 years ago is what got me sponsored and like mm-hmm. what got me like into the whole pro climbing world. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, now to repeat it 10 years later is like a casual afternoon, like just something to make me feel better about myself. I was like, oh, it's, you know, 
I felt good. Anyway, but that was kind of the end of my, my fall season. You just mentioned that you had a, a, a little bit of, or you felt like, okay, this is the day it has to happen now. Um, well, then the next day it rained, everything right. gets washed off. Then it's like too much effort to retake everything. And so did it feel like maybe a, like a pressure release to like, okay, we, we're going to wait till next season now? Um, or were you disappointed that I you didn't still, get it done? I still sort of throughout the fall kind of hovered with like, well, I'll keep looking at the weather and sort of see, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe. Actually, randomly, that's when Adam Anders sent the Donwall. Okay. Um, and so he had to like film on the Donwall a few more days, but he was thinking about doing an onside effort on the Salathay, and I told him I'd support him so we could like simul and he could like maximize his chance of like onside in the Salathay. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, that would be a freaking experience to support Adam Andre up the Salathay. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of was the same thing where the weather didn't work out and he had too much on the Donwall. But so I'd left the valley, but I was going to come back to support him. And I was kind of like, well, if I climb the whole south with him, then I'll sort of see. Right. Um, It'll be another look um, to see. How yeah, exactly. And stuff yeah. Are. But it just never played out. It was like it started snowing and stuff. You have a good idea how long it would probably take you to, I mean, because you to climbed s- it. With so, the, yeah. Yeah. Well, so actually a week or two before, Tommy and I had simuled the free rider in uh, five and a half hours. But uh, I led the whole thing. It was amazing. Like Tommy was just like support mode. Um, I mean, he freed, you know, basically the whole route too. He, he skipped the down climbs. He just repelled the down climbs. Cause right. it's like, who cares? But, um, but so we saw him with the free rider in five and a half hours and three blocks. I did like three, 10 pitch blocks and like just went to the top. It was so amazing. I mean, it, I mean, the mountains never even climbed that way, you know, just right. like huge long blocks, super fun. But so I kind of thought that we'd go, that if I was soloing it, I'd go slightly faster than that. So yeah. I kind of thought like right. four and a half or five right. hours. Right. Well, uh, the reason I ask that is it's interesting to realize that when you're talking about conditions and you're looking for a window to do it, and I mean, you're really working with a pretty small amount of time that you need. Do you know what I mean? It's not that, though. It's like you need it to have been dry for several days before. Mm -hmm. You need to be chalky, so preferably other people have climbed it before or it has your tick marks or something. But, like, you know, one big storm, like, pressure washes the slabs. And, like, honestly, even, I mean, I have the free blast labs still totally memorized. But, like, if it's just been pressure washed, I'm up there and I like, can't even see the edges. You know, right. like, it's really small holes and you're just like, God, it's, you know, it would like, really add something. Well, yeah, I believe that because, I mean, even, even climbing something that you've worked on in the shade as a yeah, sport and then, climb and, yeah, and, then and then you try it in the sun, sun it's like, whoa, where did yeah. everything go? Yeah, 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 totally. For sure, I've experienced that, you yeah. know, 100%. Okay, well, let me, let me just finish <clears> this. <throat> we're, we're having a good time and, and going all over the place, but let me finish then the final sort of end of the process. Um, I had Hans Orgon uh, a little while ago. and nice. Where did you talk to him? Uh, he was in Glenwood, actually. He, he was in Sick. Rifle like uh, two months ago and nice. came over to visit Cody Roth and and he climbed cool. a new route in the black um, with Mook Mop Mayor hmm. and uh, did a few days in rifle. And nice. I happened to run into him. And uh, he, he mentioned, you know, because he's, he's sort of like, you know, one of your counterparts in the free solo yeah. world in terms of big solos. And mentioned like the moment or mentioned this idea of when, when you do wake up and this is the day, this is the moment, whether it's external the conditions are perfect how and then it's also in his mind like you have to feel this this time is that something that you also sort of prescribe to because a little bit of what you said was like no i can make i can make these things work sometimes and he was a a little bit more uh at least in the way of talking almost like spiritual yeah and and i wouldn't even go that yeah Yeah. spiritual is a way of looking at it that's like the dean potter way of looking at it yeah totally uh but yeah so where where do you fall on that and and how did you end up 
the week of when the rest of the climbing world woke up the next day. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this too, like I was in rifle that weekend after you did it the next day or whatever, when it, when the internet had lit up and everybody knew, but everybody in rifle, cause there's no phone yeah, service, no nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. And so several times that day, myself actually and Steve, who you just yeah. met, were just chatting about like, whoa, he did it. Like he did it. And people were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Oh, you guys don't know, do you? Like, and, and so it's kind of funny, and everybody's like, "What?" So, again, like, what's the moment, that, or what's that week look like, or how did you end up saying like, "This is yeah, another try." The, the the moment, I don't know. It is interesting. So I've done a bunch of hard solos where I'm just like, "Today's the day," and you just like go up and do it, and the kind of the impromptu or like spur of the moment or just whatever, capitalizing on that feeling. But um, but because this was all like a film project it was like a lot less spontaneous like that because you know there are people up there filming and and you know i've been working with them for a year it's like i don't want to hose them at the very last second but i mean i had kept it in my mind that like if it was the difference between sending or not sending then i would have just like left everybody behind and just gone and done it myself but the best case scenario was to be able to send it like with the whole crew and like keep it as a team effort and you know and so, I mean, I was trying to not be super, like, spontaneous, whatever. But then at the same time, like, they sort of respected my process, too, and they knew that I needed slightly more space to just sort of, like, decide on my own. And so um, in the fall, it, I had been, like, more enmeshed in the whole crew. In the spring, when I actually sent, I didn't even know who was in the valley. Exactly. I didn't know who was there on the crew. And um, basically, like, there was one filmmaker staying down in the place where I was, and then Jimmy was kind of there in his van. And so it was, just, like, just the two of them hanging out and then, and then me, like, climbing. Um, and I didn't even know that there was like the sound guy and like all these other folks like, you know, there, but, um, and so I don't know. I mean, the day before I was going to do it, I kind of told them like, Oh, you know, like maybe. And then the day before they were hanging out talking about how they might go climb the East buttress the next day. And I was sort of like, ah, you know, like maybe you should like get ready just in case like I'm thinking about maybe climbing. <laughs> and they were like, ah, you know, I mean, we're pretty stoked to do the East butt, but like, if you think you're going to climb, like, that's fine. Like we'll go up there. Um, and, like, what I didn't know is, like, in the background, there was already, like, a whole crew on the wall. There were people camped on top. There were, like, ropes all over. Like, people are doing stuff. You know, there's, like, a movie being made. And, um, but they kept it all, like, you know, like, chill. So I'm just, like, sitting there thinking there's nothing going on. There's no pressure. There's, like, nothing weird. And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, we should probably, like, go up there tomorrow. And they're like, all right, whatever, you know, if you think so. <laughs> and then I just, like, went up there the next day. Someone and, yeah. presses the silent alarm under yeah, the table. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. Just, like, at the exactly. bank. Okay, yeah, boys. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't know, like, Chai was, like, frantically flying back in from New York that night. She showed up at, like, midnight. She was, like, watching in the meadow, like, the next day. Okay. So, like, when I came down the East Ledges, there were, like, all these other people that you're like, oh, hey, like, who knew that you were in town? You know, like, how, when did you show up? You know, it's like, but it kept it, like, super relaxed for me, which is kind of how it had to be because uh -huh. it's like, if there's, like, all this pressure and, you know, all these people are, like, waiting and watching you, then it's sort of a weird, I don't know, there's, like, too much pressure. Right. But, I don't know. Well, let me ask you that because I, I, I wanted to ask you that about the filming. You know, there's, there is the, there's, like, the old <clears throat> school, and actually it's kind of pretty much Croft- has has built this idea and has repeated it i even i think probably even since you know this no film like climb for yourself this whole thing and no but that's not true because right. peter has done so much filming too. i know i know i mean but it's like, he it's had like a couple mythology, bad i guess in a way sorry yeah well i mean peter had some bad experiences filming when he was younger like on mm -hmm. some heart solos and mm -hmm. stuff and then like kind of chose not to film much but then i mean you know he is a sponsored climber like he goes out and he, he makes films for for like the north face and whoever else like right. he, he's out there shooting all the time right and i don't i don't know i mean the whole 
mythology of like, I mean, even John Backer was like shooting all kinds of TV stuff and like Lynn Hill in the 80s was like rappelling into game shows and stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I get like, it. That's actually what, know, what I wanted. That's like, that's kind of been like, the sport has always had that type of stuff going on. It's just like, it's just part of the process, you know? Yeah. I mean, so for me in the past, I'd always like done my clients by myself and then gone back and filmed on them. Mm -hmm. But like in some ways that's even more disingenuous because it's like, then you're watching this film of like, he's soloing this route, but you're like, actually he's soloing the easy pitches on this route like one year after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like, you know, you think you're watching something amazing, but really you're watching like a pale version of the real, the real event. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that was kind of the thing with... Um, making this film with, with Jimmy and Chai is like they were very strict about you know documentary filmmaking process and they were like we're actually up there shooting the real thing which was like much more challenging to actually like do the real thing mm -hmm. um, but also like obviously much more real you know right now you're you're super casual about all this stuff when you talk about it and you know I think it it a lot of it's probably super just straight up the way you are but for those those of us listening you know every once in a while like yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, when, when you're being chilled. And truly, the, obviously, they were feeling this, this idea that, well, we can't, we can't be too obtrusive to what he's doing. We have to be careful. We have to, you know, because they were, like, trying to, like, keep you in yeah. this bubble away from, from everything. So they're obviously have well, some think, understanding of yeah, it. Yeah, I think they learned from the fall because the fall right. was, like, way too crazy. And okay. It was, like, really stressful for me, and right. it was, like, too much. And then okay. in, the, in the spring... We all sort of like learn from it, and like right. it all. So that I guess that you just answered my question because I wanted to know, like, truly, does it have at least a little bit of an effect on you? And yeah, in the fall, I mean, there was right. all kinds of stress because, like, uh, mm -hmm. my girlfriend was living in my van with me, but like, they didn't really want to film with my girlfriend very much because, like, it's a movie about me, and they were trying to like kick her out all the time. And it was like, <laughs> like honestly, it was like kind of a weird dynamic. So then she's stressed because she feels like she's like not wanted, and that like everybody wants her to leave. But like, I want her to hang out because we're right. like living in the van together, you know. I was right. like, we're like on the road, you know, and so. You know, there's like all this weird interpersonal stress stuff going on where you're just like, man. And even just the logistics of it when, when they're like 10 people on the crew and I'm sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. And if you guys want to film it, then like these four people should come with me. Like you should stash a car there. This person should wrap in. Like that person should do whatever. Like, oh, we need to eat. Like, well, maybe you should go to the store while other people. Right. You know, you're like, fuck, it's a lot of things to think about, you know? Yeah, the kid he like, used to live in his van all by himself. Yeah, it's totally. Like, right. I'm used to just like waking up and being like, hmm, I need groceries. I'll just bike to the store and right. grab what I need and then go climb and do whatever, you know? Yeah, having to have that degree of planning, like just, you know, take some of the joy out of life. Yeah, but, yeah. And so I but guess honestly, the, the real challenge with the fall was the fact that I'd hurt my ankle and I just like couldn't climb the way I wanted to. I couldn't boulder. So I couldn't really like do any kind of like extra finger strengthy type stuff. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do like volume because my foot was hurting. So I just couldn't like climb the way I wanted. And yet there are like 15 people there making a movie about how I'm supposed to be rad. And I was like, I'm so unrad, you know, like I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, it was just challenging, you know. They can make you look rad anyway. Though. Yeah, they just CGI that stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, a couple more questions up on the, up on the wall there. So, yeah, we just talked. We talked about free last, and, and again, that was my first like whoa, red light. But then getting up into that crux climbing, how many times do you think you you like went up there? How many times do you think you I mean, did actually, the crux pitch? Um, I mean, I've probably done the crux boulder problem like thirty times or okay. more or something. Mm -hmm. um, I had one day where I wrapped down just to the boulder problem um, by myself and did it ten times, in, or I think it was eight times in a row, mm -hmm. but like in an hour, you know, just right. like over and over. Um, I mean, that's pretty solid, you know. Right. But actually, I was going to say for for the pure climbing audience, mm -hmm. like so my my mental 
take list for free free rider i basically had a list of all the pitches like starting from like pitch two off the ground the little 11b roof i was like oh that's always kind of weird it has like this move oh, that i right. don't really love right that, that eventually i got over um and then the two free blast slabs were always like sort of sketchy and then the slab move off the heart there's like that 11c move um i'm so glad to hear you say that well that so a... i wound up going around that right. i found a really cool variation to go around it i heard um, that which is like strictly a solo variation because there's no pro so nobody would ever lead like 30 feet of 510 with mm-hmm. no gear when you could like clip a bolt and do one move of 511 the, the cat but... that uh, you passed on the oh yeah on the heart and he he has a he posted a little short film of you starting up the, oh yeah up the crack oh, he funny. told me that Oh, he yeah. got in touch with me. He's like, dude, I just, I got this. I yeah. just saw, I was the dude. He wasn't, the, he was not the unicorn guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy below, yeah. And that's, and I emailed him back. I'm like, did you watch him do that slab move up above there? Because it's heinous. And he's like, no, I think he went around it. Yeah, so, yeah, I went anyway. around it. But so I found that variation. I was pretty stoked. Okay, cool. Um, and then, so, and then to the hollow flake, the traverse of the hollow flake, and then the down climb. I always found the down climb kind of hard. But actually, James Lucas gave me like some key beta to skip the part that I thought was hard. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, he was like, why don't you use the block? And I was like, what block? And then it turns out there was like this big jug block, like arms reach to the left that I just had never seen. I was like, how many times have I climbed this pitch without ever noticing there's this like jug over there? I was like, that's so weird. So there was always that pitch. Mm-hmm. And then basically like the monster was always like a bit of a question mark. Not so much that it's hard at all. No, the I didn't climb. do the underclimb. Oh, you didn't? Um, I, I traversed them below the ear. Oh, okay. Um, but the thing about the monster is that like it always kind of makes your joints hurt and stuff. Like it makes your whole body hurt when you finish. And so it's kind of a weird... Like, you just don't want to, like, it blasts your core and your body, and then you just don't want to, like, lose body tension for the rest of the route, you know? Because, like, obviously the crux is right above that, and you need to, like, still feel totally fresh. Mm-hmm. And the crux, I mean, is really all about body tension, like being able to push between your hands and feet. Um, anyway, so then the crux was kind of, like, big question mark. You're like, that's hard. And then above that, there were basically the three pitches, um, the two corner pitches and the traverse around the corner, which is, like, 11 plus 12B, 12A without any real, like, rest between them. You know, so you're basically doing the three last kind of hard. Oh, yeah, because it's all hanging blades that you're playing. Yeah, exactly. Past. You're not, yeah, there's stances. Right. I mean, you can go no hands, sort of, if you try mm-hmm. hard, but um, but it's not like restful. You mm-hmm. know, well, no, it, it is restful. It's just not like a ledge. Yeah, but, you're not just kicking it. Yeah, right. But it is. It's like pretty extreme, you know, because you're doing like the three crazy pitches at the yeah. top. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, so basically, like those were all the sections of the wall that I was like, okay, this is all serious. And then, you know, over the two seasons that I worked on, I just, like, systematically, like, worked my way through all the pitches. Right. You know? And c- yeah. kind of took them off to, like, uh, these are super. Yeah. But, like, the free blast, stuff. I mean, I probably climbed the free blast, like, 10 or 15 times, which is, like, a lot. You know, I wrapped down it several times. A couple times I just went to the slabs, and then we would just wrap down because I didn't really need to do the exit climbing. I mean, there's just there's just so much, you know, so much beta. Right, like, right, I know. I wish I could, like, download it all into something, you sure. know, because it's like I freaking spent so much time to, like, learn that wall, and now I, like, feel like I know it so well. I'm like, oh, I wish I could, like, deposit that somewhere. Yeah, it'd be but, golden for a lot yeah. of people. I know, yeah. So, <laughs> just, like, yeah. plug into Alex Honnold's beta someday. <clears throat> someday. I, well, I got one more. Yeah. Qu- what about the what about the Scotty Burke off with? Like, that uh, was Scotty no Burke's, like, so casual. Ugh. Fuck yeah. you, man. Yeah. I thought that was so hard. <laughs> yeah. Dude, when I sold the like route. Like getting into it and then like right past. I guess, I guess if you climb off that anchor, it's almost probably harder. But I don't know. Right there. Uh, well, hard. I don't do any of the lie back and getting in. I just okay. off with the whole thing. Okay. And it's all really easy. Okay. But um, 
It's funny. So uh, when I was sending, like when I was soloing free rider, I was like in the Scotty Burke, like charging, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cause after four hours of soloing, like you feel pretty good. Like I felt super warmed up and like <laughs> smooth and like it felt great, you know, that's good. To know. And I was like smoking my way up the Scotty Burke. And I like had a thought halfway up that I was like, no one has ever climbed this pitch better than I'm climbing right now. It's true. And then, and then I was like, humility, humility, calm. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is not the time <laughs> to like, the, yeah, well, I was like, over. yeah, totally. I was right. like, this is not the time to like blow a foot and like fall off the top of the right. free rider. Cause I'm like, I'm the man as I'm like charging the Scotty Burke, you know? But, um, but no, I was like, wow, I just climbed the Scotty Burke in probably like three minutes, you know? Yeah. I was like, I could hear Jimmy jugging around the corner from me. He had like wrapped in on this line in between the Salta headwall and the mm-hmm. free rider. He was kind of like hanging in space because it was like a cool angle for something. But so he was trying to jug to the summit as fast as he could so that he could like be on top for my top out. And um, and I kept making little bird whistles, you know, because I was around the corner from him and I could hear him and I was like trying to let him know like where I was so that, you know, he could like go faster basically because I was like going fast. And, uh, so you were climbing it faster than he was jugging. I mean, yeah, because he was kind of jugging, like, basically in free-hanging space with, yeah. like, a, you know, like, cameras and stuff. He had, like, weight out of it. I was right. like, oh, Jimmy's going to die. But so we wound up meeting at the top of that pitch, and then I, he was like, give me a head start. And I'm like, I'll give you 10 seconds, and I'd count to, like, six, and then start climbing again as fast as I could. But, um, but he basically made it to the top, like, roughly the same time I did. Okay. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, the last 500 feet of the free rider, I was like, char- you know, it's like victory lap style. You're just charging to the summit because it all feels like then you're, easy yeah, compared it's to there. Yeah. But you, st- I mean, speaking of like humility, humility, like, you know, did you have that feeling of like, whoa, 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 this thing is going to get done? Or you were just like, I'm no, it didn't matter then. I was yeah, raging. Yeah. Cool. yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you know, I was still like paying attention and trying hard and like holding on. <laughs> Clearly, but, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, so the thing is, I'd also sold that before. I'd done the Easy Rider, like the little variation y thing that Dean had done years ago. Mm-hmm. I, it, have you heard of that? No. Yeah. Uh, it was something Dean had soloed for this BBC documentary, The okay. Man Who Can Fly. But, um, uh, he down climbed Lurking Fear, the top pitch, and then traversed Thanksgiving Ledge forever, and then joined Freerider at uh, at the round table and then sure. sold it to the top. Oh wow! Um, okay, it was just kind of like one of Dean's creative things, mm-hmm. and it makes for beautiful footage because like he's sold on the top of the Freerider. Yeah, it's way but up. he didn't have to like climb the whole Freerider to get there, sure. you know. But so um, I had done the Easy Rider earlier in the season as like sort of a way to wrap my head around, you know, like parts of El Cap, mm-hmm. and um, so I'd already like technically sold the last five hundred feet. I like knew the deal. And just, yeah, I mean, it was pretty fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, someday I'll maybe hopefully have a conversation with some of the folks that that were filming you. Having talked to Mm -hmm. Mikey already and Shane, never talked to Jimmy, but did you have any conversations about, like, how they felt about filming you in in terms of, of... their stress level yeah, about, I don't know. about being up there with this guy that's like not attached to anything. I mean, I think Shane was always like pretty highly stressed. Yeah. I don't think Shane likes soloing or like any of the extreme stuff. Um, Shane's just such a gentle soul, you know? Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah. But I mean, obviously they all held it together. Like I had no idea. Nobody right. was like outwardly projecting anything. Yeah. Maybe I'm at, you know? maybe even these conversations came afterwards, but well, I mean, just Shane, you could just tell that he's not like super stoked on like, you know, he's not the one being like, Hey, would you do that again? So we can get the shot better. Or, right. You know, he's kind of like, okay, we got it. Let's, like, let's right. call it let's good. Let's move on. We're, you know? We've just, started, Jimmy, started Jimmy started is much more willing to be like, Oh, just hang on that jug for like a while longer. I'm going to get a different angle. I mean, w- when I was sending the free rider, we didn't do any posing like that. Right. But like in general, Jimmy's totally comfortable being like, yeah, just hang there. Let me switch lenses. You know, I'll switch batteries. Like, okay. Yeah. You still good. Yeah. Keep hanging for a minute. You know, <laughs> like, uh-huh. I don't know. 
<laughs> but like the first uh, the first ever soloing shoot I did with Mikey Schaefer, he was holding the lights for Jimmy, and uh, like Jimmy was shooting, and Mikey was like lighting um, separate reality. And Mikey, like, fully was looking the other way with his, like, head down, just, like, holding the light where it was supposed to be and, like, didn't watch any of the shoot. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I get, that's kind of always been my question, and I sort of get it. Like, Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't like watching soloing either. Like, I don't want to watch somebody else solo stuff because, you know, it's, yeah, it's totally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, like, does he look solid? I hope he looks mm-hmm. solid. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, I don't know. So I got I got to go cliche a little bit. Uh, we have to try anyway to see if we can get get an answer here. So you top out what's going on in your brain. I mean, you, you, you oh, I was like stoked out of my ultimate gourd. dream for you. Yeah, yeah, ultimate yeah. dream. I was so stoked. Yeah, I, was, I mean, even now I'm like smiling all big. Um, I was just I was so happy for like so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a lot of hugging and like high fiving, and, um, and I just sort of like wandered in circles. And like Jimmy was shooting pictures and. Um, you know, the, uh, the videographer, Claire, who, like, had shot the base in the summit, um, he's, like, a documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, like, you know, just filming the whole thing. But I was basically just, like, wandering around on the top being, like, yes. Like, so stoked. And we, like, killed some time. I kind of wanted more of the crew to, like, jug back up so I could, like, give hugs and, you know, proper, like, mm-hmm. you know, we could all celebrate a bit. Sam Crosley came up. I don't know if you know him. But, yeah, but... Um, he made, like, the Summerfest movies with uh, me and Cedar. Okay. And um, actually, he would be an interesting person to have on sometime because he's, like just graduated college like film school type stuff he's all young but he's like really stoked on the scene but he's the ultimate like fly on the wall for all this stuff he's been jimmy's uh, photo assistant for this whole project with okay. Cab. but he's like the ultimate scrub you know where he's like making dinner and cleaning up and like downloading photos and like dealing but at the same time he's like this young kid who's like deeply in the scene you know and you're like oh that's kind of cool yeah that's but like sam sam's had like an yeah. interesting experience like that he he just like cold called cedar to like intern you know just to like show up and make Sufferfest with him mm-hmm. or no he just was like I want to work with Cedar and Cedar and I were on Sufferfest and Cedar was like it's a good time like we actually need somebody to come shoot sure and he just like showed up and shot with us for like a week and it was oh, like cool. sweet you know but anyway so this guy Sam but so like he came up and so he's been a friend of mine for years and um you know it's cool for everybody to get to the top so I could like you know give hugs and yeah so, I don't know we were all pretty stoked yeah so then let me go post immediate like you said you're still you're still smiling you're still uh like just jazzed from it from months ago Mm -hmm. and i mean again like i i I have to sort of tread in in the cliches but uh just just because i want to see what we can get like you know was there (laughs) was there like a shift in you was there a change was it just another slightly bigger thing than you'd done before um i mean do you feel anything like what we want you to feel, what we want you to like. I, I mean, we I want you to be like, yeah, just yeah. like have, I mean, going back to Hans Org and what you said about, you know, his sort of spiritual, mm-hmm. uh, again, maybe not quite the right word to describe it, but philosophical or metaphysical yeah, yeah. look at, at it a little bit. Did you, you know, because again, like we kind of want you to, we want you to yeah. like, I, I will like say for your spirit or whatever. More, more than anything I've ever climbed, this is like something that I'm proud of and that it, like, you know, thinking about now, I'm still like, that's so amazing. Like, I'm so stoked. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's the first thing I've ever climbed where, like, I feel totally comfortable going on to, like, late night TV and being like, that's right. I did do that. And I'm proud of that. Okay. You good. know, because you're like, that's rad. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. I mean, my whole life, I mean, basically my whole climbing life, I've, like, built up El Cap is like, that's, like, the the pinnacle of climbing. You know, like, if that if anybody ever did that, that would be the raddest thing ever done. Mm-hmm. And, like, now that I've done it, I'm like, that's kind of douchey, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to, like, claim anything like that. But I but I have always thought of it as, like, that is the, the pinnacle of climbing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, that's, I'm pretty stoked, you know? Yeah, well, like, 
it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything I ever wanted, you know? Yeah. Like, that's awesome. I mean, it, right. it's, it's not douchey because it's true. I mean, if you're in 20 years, if you're just like sitting at a bar, like proclaiming your greatness about, you know, that's douchey. Yeah. That'll be yeah. douchey. <laughs> but in the moment, you're like, it really, I mean, yeah, well, I would never make any yeah. claims that this right. is any harder, better than like whatever, you know, like climbing Everest without oxygen mm-hmm. or like Reinhold Mesner stuff or like, cause right. it's just such different things and it's pretty esoteric. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'll just say that I personally have always put it on a pedestal as like, that's the thing I care most about. Mm-hmm. And so to like actually do that, I'm just like, that's yeah, as, as satisfying as I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So do you ever uh, expect any sort of letdown? No, I, mean, I don't. I don't know. Should I? Yeah, no. <laughs> Am I getting all depressed? Getting no, no, I mean, no. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like one of those things that I'm. I'm. I'm willing to bet that my whole life it's something that I'll be able to think about and be like, okay. "That's right." Like, well, you know, because I put a lot of work into it too, right. and like, it took a long time to like mm-hmm. even believe that it was possible, and then to actually do it, and then, and the fact that it all actually worked out well, and that my experience was like everything I wanted. The climbing felt amazing. I felt mm-hmm. totally. I wasn't gripped at all. I wasn't like fighting to the death and like overcoming, you know, I was just like went up there and I cruised up the route and I felt great, you know? And like the fact that we made a good film about it, which I haven't actually seen, but I'm going to assume it's going to be really good. Um, you know, and there's like the, everything about it like worked out well. I'm just like, man, it's like so sweet. Right. It's like, I can't even believe it all. Well, that's good. I'm not like trying to steer you into some sort of dark place, but oftentimes when I talk to people about on the show, even there's plenty of episodes where, there, you know, and you've probably felt it with other things. Yeah, big goals where, like, when you finish it, you yeah, you're like, that, like oh, dark. now what? Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, but it sounds like you're still. Just well, so totally part back. of my well, part of the thing with El Cap was that um, even from the beginning, I always tried to like look past El Cap because I never wanted to build it up as like every. So the the I mean, the weird thing about soloing is that it's all psychological anyway. So like, you don't really want to like build it up too big, you know? Because I'm like, look, it's just a thirty pitch twelve D, you know, like. And I mean, I've had like a lot of soloing days in my life that are like similar to that in some regard or another, you know, like I've never quite done something exactly mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, if I just look at it as like, oh, I had to go solo 30 pitches at the crag, like up to 12 D, I'm like, that's not necessarily, you know, like a cutting edge day of soloing for me. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I should try to keep it in perspective. Like, even though all cap is like the most important thing to me, it's like still, you know, beyond that, I want to like climb harder sport routes and I want to like go certain places and go on trips and like you know, do other things with life. And so I was always like sort of consciously looking past El Cap so that it wasn't just like, I just have to solo El Cap. And I, I feel like that's when you have the big come down is when you like put it all and put your, okay. all your eggs in one basket right. and then you like do it. And you're like, huh, like now what, you know? Well, it sounds like you more than even just getting ready for the climb, you, <clears throat> you've again, like part of the process is probably moving to that level of, of understanding of what you're about to do. Because I think, like you just said, if you'd have built it up so much as this is the ultimate thing, this is my dream, this is, I mean, that kind of stuff probably could get you wiped out on the on the climb as well. Like, oh, here I am, here well, I yeah, am, totally, I'm doing it, totally. I'm doing it. You yeah, know, and like, I mean, you see that all the time right. with the sport crag when somebody's about to send their sport prod and then they totally punt at the anchors because they're like, I was just too pumped. Right. And you're like, dude, you're on like 510 jugs at the anchors. Like, you were not too pumped, you just like choked, Yeah, you know? And I feel like the way to not choke like that is to not like build it up too big, right. not to be all over gripped. You know, I want to just be like, I'm just going climbing and just mm-hmm. do it. Nice. Yeah. But thankfully I didn't choke it. Yeah. <laughs> Can <laughs> you imagine everybody? You imagine the last like 5'11 splitter hand crack right. at the very top. You're like, I'm so pumped. Oh, Jesus. No, I can't. <laughs> like, and please like, well, pa- like part of the, 
part of this whole thing, you said that the, the, the community really got around what you were doing and, and understood, yeah, we can't. We also need to, like, chill out about it's, it. It seemed like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's I just mean, me. The, the thing is, Alex, is, like, we all, I think the climbing community as a whole really wants you to succeed. And obviously, we want you to succeed because we don't want you to die. But we also <laughs> want you to succeed in that you, you, we want your goals to be achieved. It's, and like I said, you've become, for better or worse, for like your chagrin or not, like, you know, you're this thing in climbing that everybody wants a little bit of in, in a sense. And, and I think like in a way, it's all very positive. We want, we want you to succeed. We, you're like our guy. And I don't know if that like bugs you or not, but it's totally the truth. I don't know. I don't know if I were, I didn't even know if that was true. You know, I'm like, huh, really? No, right. for sure. And I mean, obviously, right. like yeah. I asked you about the filming thing and I'm sure there's some, some thread somewhere that's talking about what bullshit it was that you got filmed up there or whatever. Yeah, I'm like, but whatever. in general, because yeah, you can't yeah. please everybody. Yeah. I feel like, like I said, I felt like when people were talking about it the weekend after, mm-hmm. th- it was weird. It was like total joy. And everybody was just like, whoa. And it wasn't like, yeah. whoa, that motherfucker's crazy. It was like, no, I, I was kind of, I was, I was, I was moved by that too, right. actually. I mean, I saw a lot of the commentary and stuff and I was like, yeah, overwhelmingly positive and supportive. Mm-hmm. And it did feel like kind of the whole community was like celebrating a moment, you know, and I was like, oh, that's like so touching. No, it totally Though, It's, it's kind of similar to the Dawn Wall or something though, mm-hmm. you know, where it feels like the whole community can like help somebody celebrate like their mm-hmm. dream, you know? Like, yeah, it's kind of yeah. awesome. Well, the, the thing about the Donwell, though, too, is that the media, the outside media was all there during. And I think like I th- feel like and we'll, we'll move to that in just a second. But the a lot of times we again, you're ours hmm. like. And so when the outside media and Jimmy Kimmel wants to talk to you, we're just like, whatever, like he's he's still our guy, you know. And, and I think because there was it was such this like thing that was thrown on our plates immediately and we didn't mm-hmm. have any idea although everybody was like someday yeah maybe do it. someday yeah it was yeah it just felt like everybody was like yeah you yeah. know it was cool i mean it yeah. was like it sounds as no cheesy, it's, i but, mean it's yeah. i mean it's crazy that it all worked out that way yeah. you know what yeah. i mean that it all like that's why i mean it's great for me that the whole experience was like so positive yeah but, totally so yeah. let's finish up here pretty quick pretty soon but with the fame because you 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 have this like kind of like happy-go-lucky attitude about the fact that, you know, oh, Jimmy Kimmel wants to talk to me or, you know, because I think you also know or feel like, well, it's just this thing that's happening to me right now. And, yeah, you know, I'll go whatever. back to my van and, yeah, you know, it'll well, all I did go back to my down. van. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. literally. Totally. Um, but, you know, you've talked in the past and, and you've talked to me about wanting, you're in a position where a climber can use some of this to like do some other stuff. So let's talk about that to finish up the foundation. And, and like I said, maybe rolling this little bit of fame because it, you know, like you said, when you went on Kimmel, they, they probably needed you because someone really famous failed. Yeah. So, so in the big world, it's a, it's a modicum of fame, but for climbing, it's a, it's a, seems like a big deal. So what does that mean to you to be able to sort of change this into something that that's positive for you and doesn't change you in a negative way? Um, well, there are kind of two parts that, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's a good segue to talk about like my foundation and like the, the humanitarian types of stuff that, I, that I'd like to do in life. But basically, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been given this opportunity in life. I should do something like good for the world, do something positive. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I've been trying to do that through my foundation and, and supporting, you know, development projects and stuff and different parts of the world. But I feel like someday we ought to do a full, full podcast just talking about like, you know, 
off-grid solar projects and like development and like you know because I actually find that stuff sort of more interesting in a lot of ways well, just because it's so much more important for the world can you, know, you like, be a little more specific real quickly here about <clears throat> what you just mentioned a lot of different things yeah yeah like what is going. it you have this foundation uh, what's it called exactly so uh, yeah I have the Hanel Foundation okay which is you know sort of douchey but it's whatever that's just it's just how it is. Well, no, but, I mean, how for, it the, is. for the yeah. most part, the foundation, though, has just been me giving, you know, like roughly a third of my income or maybe a quarter now, but giving like a significant portion of my income to random, well, to various environmental uh, nonprofits. Okay. And so, you know, obviously we, we accept donations for anybody who's interested, but, but for the most part, it's just been me like funneling money to, to projects that I think are important. And, you know, when I started the foundation, I was just kind of looking to like do something positive in the world, totally vague. And then as I started looking into more, um, looking into the space and seeing who was doing what kind of work and how that all, you know, what they're actually doing, I found that I was sort of gravitating towards uh, like development type projects with energy access. So basically, like environmental projects that improve standard of living or that like lift people out of poverty. And so that basically means like solar projects in in the developing world, because uh-huh. um, that's like. It's getting people off of burning kerosene, so it's like reducing carbon emissions, um, you know, good for climate. But more importantly, it's, you know, I mean, it's a huge health hazard for people to be burning kerosene in a confined space. When you think of, like, the 1.2 billion people on Earth that live without access to electricity, you know, they're living in, like, huts, and then they're, like, lighting their hut with a kerosene lantern or, you know, the candles or, like, wood burning, whatever. I mean, there are a lot of ways to, like, burn things, but that's all terrible for human health Mm -hmm. compared to, like, an LED light bulb. Right. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, basically it's like that double whammy of, of reducing, you know, burning, but then also, you know, helping people's health, like allowing people to study at night. It's also, um, people save a ton of money. Like in parts of Eastern Africa, people spend um, up to a third of their income buying kerosene. Which, like, Can you imagine spending a third of your income to light your home? Right. And also like, so, and all these people all live in like the equatorial region of Earth. And I mean, it's easy to forget because we live in the Northern Hemisphere where there are like seasons, but in the equator, it's 12 hours of dark every day. Like, mm-hmm. so all year round, it's always 12 hours of dark and you can only sleep like eight of them. So it basically means you're just losing four hours of every day because there's no light and you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, can you imagine if you were just like, oh, every day I just like kill four hours doing nothing because I just can't turn on a light or I like, think, well, yeah, you know, what? <laughs> I think we all, uh, it's like the opposite here. Like we kill it. Just because we're lazy. We're looking at we're, screens. Yeah, yeah, we're looking at There's screens. There's so many whatever. lights, yeah. you're just like days right. in the lights. Right. But I don't know. I mean, it's just that certainly for me growing up in suburban California, mm-hmm. I, it never would have occurred to me that, you know, there are like hundreds of millions of children in the world that like can't do schoolwork because they physically can't see their papers, sure. you know, right. like can't read their book because there's no light. And you're like, that's pretty basic level. Um, I mean, to me, that's sort of like entry-level development type mm-hmm. stuff. I feel like once people have access to energy, it's like the beginning of a path to like help them, you know, lead a more prosperous life. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're still climbing a lot. You're still kind of living that dream. Do you see yourself as becoming more and more involved in those things from an administratively point of view? I mean, I'd, I'd like to hope that you know, over the next twenty years, right. I spend more and more time working through the foundation and. Um, just because the work in some ways is so much more gratifying, like you're actually doing something positive in the world. I mean, I love climbing and like, that's, you know, what I care about most, but at the same time, when it's all said and done, like when I have a great climbing experience, like I had a good experience and like, that's it. But like, you know, doing work through the foundation, you're like, Oh, an entire village now has light or, you know, at whatever kind of scale you're like, other people's lives have been positively impacted Mm -hmm. through, through my work, you know? And like, that's, that's cool.
So how do you feel about like, like beating the pavement on fundraising and things like that? Well, so that's kind of the whole thing. And that's why I've like hardly talked about the foundation much. It's like not much of a thing because it's like mildly embarrassing and like just, it's you know, not, why? Cause it's called the Honnold foundation. No, but just yeah. in general, like you just don't want to be all preachy about it. Sure. And like, it's weird for me because I'm like, Oh, I'm like trying to do something good in the world. But then, you know, it's easy to criticize too, because it's like, Oh, well you're flying all over. Like if you're worried about carbon emissions, like what's the deal with your flying? Right. But I mean, though, to be fair, I have actually done some math on that stuff and I'm pretty sure that I'm still like positive in terms of, um, I mean, basically because like, you know, solar systems offset a certain amount of carbon sure. too. And so I'm kind of like, I'm pretty sure I'm still, but then, you know, basically I'm like, well, at least I'm trying, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to do something positive, but I don't know. It's just like, it's weird to put it out there because then you're like, it's so easy to get, get attacked for it too, you know? Yeah. But especially in the U S where people are like, Oh, like climate change, that's not even a thing. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's like, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, uh, no. But I, I get it, like, but you know, it's it's like I said about even soloing a cap. Like, ninety nine point nine percent of us were were hooray, and there, but there's always going to be the yeah, yeah. And, and in general, guy. I don't really care about that the criticism, guy. you know. Right, and, right. But actually, it's funny that I'm more sensitive to that sort of stuff about the foundation than I am about my climbing. Because my climbing, I'm a hundred percent confident. It's like if somebody wants to criticize, I'm like, that's fine. Like, who cares, you know? And I think I'm I'm more sensitive about the foundation. So maybe because it matters more in a way. Or maybe because I'm slightly less, I just like know a little bit less about it. And so, um, you know, like I'm doing my best and I'm trying to do something positive. But like, honestly, you know, like I'm not an expert on, you know, like off-grid solar in Africa or like development in general. And like, I'm certainly not an, an expert in like, you know, the finances and stuff involved with like how to how to lift the bottom billion out of poverty and things sure. like that. I just read a book like by Jeffrey Sachs about ending poverty and it's like all this stuff with like UN agencies and, you know, like debt cancellation in the third world. And I'm just like, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, I've read some of that stuff, but you're like, man, it's pretty complex. And well, like, it's I definitely super complex. Don't totally and there's a lot of pitfalls, you know, with, yeah. with nonprofit work and where the money yeah, goes. Yeah, totally, and, totally. You know, you trust one person and it's out of your hand. Yeah. Like, climbing's in your hand. Yeah. You know, literally and figuratively. Yeah, but I mean, the so, nonprofit stuff isn't totally out of your hands. I mean, you can, you can vet all the different people you're working with. You can, like, make sure the projects are happening the way you, you see. It's all, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean in theory, I'm saying, it's all like, still working well, but the, the, it's just. Everybody who does that work knows that there is a point especially when you you are putting money into these countries that there's a lot of trust involved and there's point. a lot of yeah. government issues there like who's you know that yeah that sort of like goes and, it, and it's so. like a bit of a you know you can be like making progress in in a certain projects you're like oh you know i'm helping these people but then at the same time it's such a huge problem that you're kind of like Ugh. well yeah it's like kind of overwhelming yeah. you know you're like oh is it even worth helping you know 50 people if they're like another 500 million that are suffering but you know the reality i was like no of course it's worth helping those 50 people because like one of those kids that like can now read and you know might grow up to be like an astronaut or something sure i mean that's what i always think about whenever i'm in africa is like you drive through these villages and it's like huts with like tons of kids and you're like any one of those kids could be like a pilot if they had a real education you know or like they, i mean they could be scientists they could be like doctors they could you know they have the exact same potential that i had when i was a kid mm -hmm. but like i got a really great public school education in California and like wound up having all this opportunity. And then I look at them and I'm just like, Oh, you know, like how unfair is it that they don't have that opportunity? Mm -hmm. You know I mean? There's like this basic sense of fairness that you're just like, you know, just because I happen to be born in, in California, like, does that really mean that my life should be like that much easier and like that much more fun than, than somebody else's life who just happened to be born in, you know, like rural Kenya? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that sucks. Like that's not fair. Yeah. You know? But 
Well, know. it's good that you have these feelings. I mean, you know, it's, it is interesting for, uh, you know, someone, like you said, with the privilege that you've had to traipse through these countries on yeah. an adventure, you know, like going to Angola. You know, I talked to Stacy about you guys going to Angola. Oh, yeah, and totally. like, traipse through these countries <clears throat> as these climbers with all this sweet gear and all these, like, no worries and be viewed by them. So even, or, or looking around you and, and trying to understand the empathy of what their life is like. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's, it can be rare in adventure, whether it's kayaking or any of these extreme sports, to go and come home and maybe have some thoughts about, well, the, those guys are really poor, and then move on to the next thing. Well, I think, I think the reason that people move on to the next thing is because it's such a big issue. Yeah, you don't even really know how to start. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. And so then you know, you don't really know what you could do, and so you just kind of like let it be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, I can't affect that. And so, I mean, you know, through my foundation, I'm, like, trying to affect it at time. And it's, like, a teensy, teensy little scratch. And it's, like, kind of embarrassing because you look at, like, the Gates Foundation or something. <laughs> and they're, like, oh, we're, you know, we're investing $50 billion into, like, development projects. Like, we're hoping to cure malaria, you know. Right. And I'm, like, oh, at the Hano Foundation, we're hoping to put a couple solar panels on that hut. <laughs> right. You know? well, you're, like, we're not curing malaria. Right. But at the same time, you're, like, well, hopefully some of those kids get to learn how to read. And, like, they wind up having a better life, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you're like, well, if that's still positively impacting even a few people, then, like, that's better than doing nothing, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't know. We'll so, see. But so I'm kind of hoping to do more with the foundation, okay. like, as, as I move forward, you know. Cool. But Well, well I mean, like I said, these opportunities, <clears throat> they, they can be turned into opportunities for your foundation, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's kind of the thing. I'm kind of hoping over the next year to sort of, like, ramp up foundation stuff a bit and, like, be a little more public about it. So that when this crazy movie comes out next year, it's all sort of like better in place. Ready you know? to go. But yeah. 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 So, and, and actually as it is, when I started the foundation, I felt like it was a little too early for me. I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I'm still primarily focused on climbing. Mm-hmm. Climbing is my thing. But I kind of knew that like in my life, I wanted to be able to work, you know, on the sorts of projects that I'm supporting through the foundation. And so, you know, I was kind of like, well, this might be five years early, but I may as well, like, get it started so that in five years I have a better sense of how it all works and I've, like, learned a bunch. And, um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, technically I've had the foundation four or five years now, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, I'm sort of just starting to want to be slightly more public about it and, like, feel more comfortable Well, that's it. a way to work around that overwhelmed problem. Yeah, you know, I suppose. Where yeah, you don't, like, you're not just like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to fix it all, you know. So, yeah, you sort of ease into it and yeah. just, like, let it, let yeah. it grow. All right, so climbing-wise, I've heard you mention, like, okay, I've got these other goals, you know, climbing harder, climbing 9A has been the, the thing that I, I keep yeah, hearing about. Yeah, it's an easy one, yeah. So is that kind of like, because the other question is, is that people have been sort of mumbling about or asking, you know, in these, these conversations that you don't know about. But, you know, okay, so what is, is soloing done for him? How do you do anything more? Because... At least what we hear about, there does, ha- there has been this, seems like this progression where every once in a while you do something and we hear about it and it was like a little more rad. But obviously, I mean, yeah, at some point it doesn't get more rad. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't get yeah. more yeah. rad. Yeah. And then, yeah, you fair. know, again, like, and this is a really weird and you must know that it goes on, but everybody speculates like, God, I hope he doesn't fall someday, you know? Like, yeah, of course. You know, right? Yeah, well, I hope I don't fall too. Yeah, you know? I know. But I mean, like, we... And and a lot of people again were 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 generally like really positive and want you to succeed. Yeah. And therefore, we people are like, well, God, I hope he just fucking stops one day because. Yeah. I mean, know, the thing is, though, time. I mean, I do love soloing though, yeah. and I'm sure I'll be soloing forever. Yeah. 
But, like, I don't know if I'll ever necessarily solo anything bigger than 3,000 feet in 12D. Yeah, where can you get that <laughs> you know? anyway? Yeah, totally. Well, there's but, you know, I mean, Golden Gate. No, yeah. <laughs> no I mean, well, no, I, I have, like, thought of that stuff. You know, <laughs> right. you're kind of like, oh, right. should I try for something harder? Right, you know, because, right. I mean, because the actual experience, like, was amazing and, like, felt great. And, yeah, so you're like, maybe I should try something harder. Like, maybe that's the thing. But I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'll always solo stuff like the Nutcracker, you know, right. like the best 5'8 in the valley. Like, you know, I do that in my tennies all the time, and I'm like, it's so fun. It's so glorious. You're like, what a nice route. Like, I'll, I'll do that my whole life. But beyond that, I'm like, I don't know. Okay. You know, maybe. But in the immediate future, is, that a, is, is this sport climbing ideal or this hard climbing ideal in the immediate future? Like, what's on your mind? Yeah. I mean, the immediate future for me, like, so... The whole process of soloing all cap and like making the film and everything, I've basically done like no work or no appearances or sponsor stuff for like over a year. So the immediate future, I need to like do a little work basically. Right. You know, like I've been putting too much stuff on the back burner and I need to like actually get some things done. Um, so I'm like doing a bunch of events, doing a lot of travel stuff and like, but in a way that lends itself to hard climbing more because uh, it means more rest and like less volume. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I can like try really hard for a day or two and then like do a couple days of work stuff and like train in the gym or like hangboard. You know, it's it all like works more. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Basically, okay. like, I mean, I would be totally happy if I just climbed casually, like with my girlfriend, having fun, doing whatever for the next year and like don't even think about goals and stuff. Great. You know? Yeah. Just, like, I mean, that's, yeah, that has to be stressful to just have this goal on your mind even if it even if it did happen when it's also just relaxing to have to have like finished a goal you know you're like sweet like i'm just gonna go have fun climbing well you know what you should do you know a little piece of advice have a baby oh my gosh i'm definitely not having a baby yet but that really fits well into the training sport climbing lifestyle no big deal i mean the thing is thinking about the whole like uh culmination of your career type of stuff i mean think about it with lynn hill i mean she's been climbing like she's still i mean you see her in the gym climbing 513 like super casually and you're like wow she's an amazing climber but like from any kind of outside perspective like when she freed the nose in a day that's probably like the pinnacle of her career mm-hmm. but like since then she's still been climbing full-time for the next 20 years you know she's like climbed v12 in waco she like climbed hard sport routes she's like gone on trips she's like does all kinds of stuff and she obviously still gets a lot out of it and like that's great you know I'd be totally happy if that's me. You know okay. what I mean? Like, right on. If, like, if climbing the free rider is, like, the one thing I ever do, and then beyond that, I just, like, you know, I'll still be climbing. Hopefully, still be, like, an okay climber. <laughs> you know, but, like, like I mean, hope, hopefully I'll do better things, and hopefully, right. you know, it'll be harder. But, like, if I don't, you know, I'm like, that's fine. Like, you know, I sure. don't know. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, you should be pretty like, proud of it. I don't know. You know, we'll see. Well, awesome. Thanks a lot for sitting down and, and, and uh, giving me a little bit of time in this crazy, crazy moment in your no, life in terms of uh, just in terms of people wanting a piece of you. It's, you know, it's no, kind it was, of a big deal right now. It's the enormous cast, so. you know, that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> right on, Alex. Well, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, folks, how was that? Pretty astounding, even more astounding now. You're even more astounded, aren't you, once you learn the details? I was. I mean, dude, so you went up to try it, but you couldn't do it, but you didn't back off. You just grabbed the bolts and climbed the free blast. Then you repelled on a couple slings, and then you went and free-sold the Astroman and free-sold Rostrum in the same day? Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Yeah, the dude is something special. That is for sure. And again, thanks so much to Alex Honnold. Everybody wants a piece of that guy right now. And he actually made that happen. 
He made the time. He got in touch. And and uh, the guy still wants to stay connected with the climbing community. So we appreciate that. Stay humble. Stay cool, Mr. Honold. And thanks again. And for those of you playing the drinking game, you're probably not even with us anymore, are you? How many times did we say free rider? How many times did I say it? I don't know. I actually tried to like... I tried to stay off of that a little bit, but there were a few moves I just had to know about because, uh, you know, projecting yourself up there without a rope is pretty goddamn frightening, even from your couch. All right, folks, I brought you the goods. Now you come back and do your part by supporting the Enormacast. Go to enormacast.com and click on the Help Out tab to see what you can do to support the podcast. Just a few minutes of your time. And if you do want to donate, feel free few bucks from a lot of people goes a long ways at the Enormacast. So Alex always likes to say that 95% of the time he's actually climbing on a rope, even though we mostly hear about his free solos. And I would certainly hope that even Alex Honnold, when he ties into his rope, before he leaves the ground, he looks down and checks his knot. Come far, pilgrim. Feels like far. Were it worth the trouble? Huh? What trouble?